still sick? Yeah. Oh, pobrecito. Well, you look very cute. You look very butch today. Or like, not butch, but like, you look like a very wispy boy. Oh, thank you. That's kind of what I imagine what my dad's internal monologue is to himself whenever he looks at me. <laughs> you look like a wispy boy, Michael. How did I create such a wispy boy? How did I create wispy boy when I was in Ukraine? There were no wispy boy. The term that pops into my head is I feel like a Trisket. <laughs> yeah, I think part of what makes it so wispy is that you have like a little forelock, a little side bang pulled down. It's a very cute look. That's an accident. That wasn't even on purpose. Well, it looks great. You should consider doing it on purpose sometime. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll consider it. <laughs> How are you? You're still sick. I'm still sick. Your girlfriend is in LA. She's in LA for work. How's your mutual dog? Mutual dog is doing good. Mutual dog is right here with me. Oh, hi. Hi, buddy. Wow. I want nothing but his love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like feeling cold and weird and fevery and stuff, and then just having this little ball of fluff that you can hold on to. Uh, I know, I know. I love my boyfriend and I's cat, who we recently got, Chunk, so much, but he is at the phase of his life. He's still a kitten. He's not even a year old yet. He'll be a year in September. So he's still much more rambunctious than he is cuddly i think that balance will shift as he ages but is it possible to encourage a cat to be cuddly i mean i think all you can do is just create the appropriate space for cuddles and hope that the cat comes to it but i don't think there's any way to like manually incite cuddliness he likes attention he just doesn't necessarily like cuddling i think the future looks bright for our cuddle possibilities but for now he's still a little demon we're becoming boring and domestic great you may still have some qualms about that but i have been on the verge of death enough times that boring domesticity feels like a great achievement and somewhere where i'm happy to be living i think in our little collection of subcultures it's very de rigueur to criticize boring domesticity it's easy to internalize that sure and i want to do the opposite of that last episode the bonus episode we were like there may not be anything inherently wrong with profit now we're saying there's nothing <laughs> inherently wrong with the suburban <sighs> nuclear family lifestyle i know we're falling apart how are you hava uh, how am I? <laughs> I keep having a tickle in my throat. I'm okay. I woke up late, so I had to fix my boyfriend's breakfast really quickly. While I was cleaning up the kitchen, I broke a glass bottle of sesame oil. Top 10 worst broken glass situations. Everything is like covered in oil. I don't know if you've had this experience with your dog yet, but when you break a glass object, suddenly the thing that your animals most want to do is get in there and get all up in that glass. So that was pretty stressful, and I didn't like it. It must have smelled good. It did smell good, although I'm pretty sure I'm going to get sick of it by the end of the day, because even though I cleaned it all up, it still smells. Yeah, I've been bitten by the Animal Crossing bug again. That's been good. I like woke up and immediately did a little work on my island. I'm converting my whole island to a new theme. So that's fun for me. That and I went fun. to the comic store and got some new issues of X-Men the other day, which was really fun. How far away is this comic store from you? It's not very far. It's like a 15 minute walk, 20 minute walk. Whoa. Yeah, it's by where I used to live. Are you like getting to know the owners, the workers? 
The owner, he's friendly to me, but we have not had any non-transactional dialogue yet. Mm-hmm. What if you become like a part-time employee? It's so romantic, you know? <laughs> oh, that would be very cute. But then, you know, I feel like I would have to be single to do that so that I could be someone's manic pixie dream girl because that's the only reason for a girl to work in a comic shop. Oh, you would clean up so well. I have cleaned up and I am now living in my clean area. Yeah. It just smells like sesame oil. It just smells like sesame oil and a cat. But yeah, I'm going to start a Talmud class. The other day, Binya and I started talking about what our fall winter class is going to be for Shama'ala, and I'm really excited about it. Oh, okay. But yeah, so things are going well for me. My life is attaining a certain level of stability that feels really healthy and good, and it's enabling me to do really good Talmud and that's dope. That's great. Should we talk about what we came here to talk about? Yeah, 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 yeah. We have a listener voicemail today. Oh, it's a voicemail? I just oh, thought no, it was no, an no. email. It's an email. It's an email. Okay, we have a listener email, which I will read. Here's what it says. Hopefully this is timely. I'm wondering what the Talmud says about reaching out to people between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur who are not Jewish and or are Jewish but don't partake in their own annual teshuva. Growing up Jewish in a secular world, most people I know closely don't participate in the RH and YK annual cycle. Even my family, who is Jewish, never took this custom very seriously. As an adult, I found I was hurting myself and putting undue responsibility on myself in my relationships by the teshuva attempts I was making with people who are not engaging in the same practice. Like trying to make right after a bad breakup only for that to open the door for that person to put all the blame on me and take advantage of my vulnerability. Last year, I decided it wasn't productive to reach out or think about such people, especially since I make a fairly good effort of apologizing, relationship building, and teshuva throughout the year. This year, I'm wondering if I'm missing something of the holiday or if my individual decision doesn't reflect the wisdom of the sages. Hope that made sense. Thank you for all the work you do to make such an engaging and inclusive Jewish Talmud podcast. Thank you, listener, for writing in. Thank you, listener. I don't think you said that we can share your name, so we won't. Hava, can you tell me and the listeners what teshuva during the high holidays is all about and give a summary of what you think the main dilemma is what our listeners talking about is between two holidays rosh hashanah which is the quote jewish new year and yom kippur which is the big day of atonement both of which are part of the high holiday cycle that's coming right up it is customary for jews to sort of spend that time doing teshuva which means doing repentance for all the stuff they may have fucked up on in the past year, or even, you know, a wider amount of time than that, more than the past year. Teshuva, which means repentance, is sort of what Yom Kippur is all about. So this is all sort of a lead up to try to get yourself right in your relationships before Yom Kippur comes up. And not everyone does this, but it is a pretty popular practice. It's one that I think a lot of lefty and queer Jews also have sort of taken on because I think that kind of like responsibility and relationship management is something we can all vibe with pretty easily. So that's what the listener is asking about. What if I am doing this process of teshuva and, you know, asking for forgiveness and making repairs, doing repentance, but then there's people in my life who are not doing that custom at all, maybe not during that time of year or not really dealing with you know, making repair in our relationship at all. What does a Jewish tradition have to say about sort of making amends with someone who's not trying to make amends with you? Ooh, 
yeah, that's a toughie. Before I read some of the Talmud I brought, Michael, I'm curious what you think about this. How do you relate to someone who you want to mend fences with, but who is perfectly content to let your fences be broken? I just run away. That's what I do. <laughs> it really depends on the situation. I wish I had a blanket statement I could say. It, was, it would be so context-specific. Well, luckily, the Jewish tradition has taken care of making some generalizations for us. Great. Since that's sort of what it's in the business of. Before I get into this text, I will also just say, dear listener, I am with you in this struggle, both in this time of year and in other times of year. There are plenty of people in my life who have harmed me in lasting and serious ways who, for one reason or another, I will never be able to engage in this process with. I'm like right there with you in the thick of it, trying to figure out my relationship to this. In Yoma 87a, so Yoma is the Masechet that is about Yom Kippur, we learn, Said Rabbi Yossi Barchanina, anyone who is asking forgiveness from his companion should not ask more than three times. As it is stated, and then Rabbi Yossi Barchanina brings a quote from Genesis 50, 17, which is honestly a little bit slippery in the translation. The full translation in English is, please, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you, and now please forgive. But the quote that he brings, he brings the beginning and end of that verse, which is, Ana sha na wata sha na. And the important part of that verse is that it repeats this word na, three times. Na is sort of this funny particle that comes up a lot in biblical Hebrew that means sort of like, please, or pray, or like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it sort of doesn't have like an easy, direct translation into English. It's sort of like an entreatment, if you will. Basically, Rabiosi is saying the fact that this biblical verse about forgiveness repeats the word na, three times, means we should not ask for forgiveness any more than three times, because that's the Bible gold standard. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I think the relevance is, is pretty obvious, right? You can take this to mean, dear listener, that once you've asked three times about whatever teshuva you're trying to do, you're off the hook, maybe. Biblically speaking, Talmudically speaking, you've sort of fulfilled your obligation to give it three good and earnest tries. Yeah, I think of that as it kind of says that really the surface level thing that you're supposed to do, which is to ask for forgiveness, is really not the thing that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to feel that you've done something wrong and processed it. And whether or not you get forgiveness is Besides the point, you can try, say, three times, but mm -hmm. that's not really the main thing that you should be going for. That's kind of what popped into my head. Right. One way you can read Teshuvah is that the intention of Teshuvah is to bring you closer to Hashem, not necessarily to provoke forgiveness from your fellow. Right, right, right. Even though Talmud tells us basically only people can forgive injuries between people. Basically, if, if it's a sin against another person, only they can forgive it. If it's a sin against God, then it's between you and God. Only other people have the power to forgive whatever injury you've done to them. But at a certain point, you've sort of 
fulfilled the intention of Teshuva. Mm -hmm. To add in, I have even more. I have actually quite a bit more to add in. But the next thing that comes directly after that biblical citation is, Wa'im mate, and if he's dead, may vi asera b'nei adam u'ma'amdinan al kivro u'omer lahashim elohei Yisrael u'lifloni shechavalto bo. And if he's dead, and if the person you're trying to get forgiveness from is dead, bring ten people, ten benadams, and stand at the grave of this person and say, I have sinned against the Lord, God of Israel, and against so-and-so whom I sinned. There's a process outlined here for what you can do if forgiveness is well and truly unattainable. That is wild. That is a magic spell. Wild. Yes, that is absolutely a magic spell. I think the thing that I take from it on a practical advice level is like you and God and your community can handle the forgiveness process in the absence of the person who you would normally ask for forgiveness. Mm. Right? You and your 10 people, your minion, and God can sort of handle it on your own, even without the presence of that person. Okay, that's very neat. I think the thing that makes it most magic spell is going to the grave of that person. And you have to have like a minion to do it. It's kind of wild. Yeah, but I'm theorizing the idea there is a minion sort of puts you at a certain level in the queue for God's attention. Mm -hmm. And so part of what you're trying to get here is the witnessing of Hashem about your confession to sort of give you a check mark on your teshuva process. Whether you want to save that option for if that person is dead or deploy that option if that person is for some other reason never going to participate in this process with you, you know, is up to you. Yeah. I think we can we can play with the intentions behind this ritual. I don't recommend doing this for a living person like go to an ex's house with 10 of your friends <laughs> and like just right there, do a weird Talmudic ritual. <laughs> right. Well, you could do it some other way. You could go to a nice place in nature. Yeah, that's a nice place in nature. Well, you know, there are a lot of ways you can interpret this. But I think getting back to what they asked in their question, which is like they're trying to avoid putting undue responsibility on themselves and their teshuva attempts for people who are not engaging in the same practice. I think we're sort of being offered two ways to think about that, right? One is you can have a very strict and clear, once you reach three times, like, check, you've checked off your forgiveness checklist and you're good to go, and that's fine. And the other option is Talmud provides for a ritual context in which to do this process with your friends and God, whether or not the other person is a part of that process or not. On top of all this, I want to bring a really crazy story that comes right on the same page, Yoma 87a. Uh, and I'm just going to read it in translation because it is complicated and it's going to be weird enough to understand in English. So it's further related that Rav had a complaint against the certain butcher who insulted him. The butcher did not come before him to apologize. So the butcher insulted Rav and Rav was like waiting around to receive his apology and the butcher was like fuck that guy basically okay all right on yom kippur eve rav said i will go and appease him so rav is gonna go try to make this right on his own even though he's the insulted party he's gonna go try to figure out whatever is at the root of this issue he met his student rav huna who said to him where is my master going rav said to rav huna i'm going to appease so-and-so the butcher 
Rav Huna called Rav by his name and said, Abba is going to kill a person, for surely that person's end will not be good. I don't fully understand the cultural subtext that is happening in this sentence, Mm -hmm. and I think I need a teacher of my own to come and tell me what is up with the turn of phrase, but basically... Rav Huna is saying like, oh shit, it's not going to work out for the butcher. He thinks the butcher is going to die in this situation. Does he think that this is the intent to kill the butcher? Like this is all a euphemism, like I'm going to go take care of the butcher. I think he thinks it's going to be sort of a mystical, like final destination kind of situation. Right. And when he says Abba, Abba is going to kill a person. Abba is the name of Rav. When we see Rav on its own in Hebrew, it's short for Abba Aricha, commonly known as Rav, a Jewish Amora of the third century. Rav is short for Abba Aricha? Well, it's not short. It's not like a nickname. It's just like a title, I guess, more so than a nickname. Rav Huna, the -hmm. student of Rav, is like, oh shit, this is not gonna play out well so rav goes and he finds the butcher sitting and splitting the head of an animal the butcher raised his eyes and saw rav and he said are you abba which is rav's name again go i have nothing to say to you so the butcher is basically like fuck you i stand by my insults i offer no explanations or apologies Get over yourself. While he was splitting the head, one of the bones of the head flew out and struck him in the throat and killed him, thereby fulfilling Rav Huna's prediction. What? Yeah, so I was being uh, very serious when I said it was going to be like a Final Destination kind of thing. Of course, I don't know quite what to make of this it seems like in a way that i often feel like talmud is like comics it just seems like one of those fantastical tales of the heroes of talmud like yeah don't don't insult rav or else you'll get final destinationed by whatever you're doing a bone will fly off ahead and kill you i am sort of inclined to lay the blame at the feet of rav a little bit because I feel like he could have chosen to just overlook this insult. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me from the narrative, because he went there, that is what sort of caused this whole situation to unfold. What was the insult? That's what I want to know. Yeah, unfortunately, it is not shared with us in Talmud. And that's the end of the story. It's like the bone kills the guy and then we're on to some other subject. So you gave all this great advice that's supposed to make the listener feel better about you know not (laughs) self-flagellating and now you're like oh by the way here's a story where if you don't apologize you're gonna die with a bone well i think more what i was trying to bring with this story is just a playful ending of like and also if you want to say to yourself like oh the people who are not engaged in their repentance process fate will take care of them like they have made their own beds and they have to deal with it and i don't need to involve myself with that anymore interesting okay no matter what side of the repentance process you're on fate will take care of it well in this case right it was rav who was insulted the listener maybe finds themselves in both situations either they need to apologize to people they've insulted or they need to receive apologies that they're never going to receive so i wanted to sort of provide a little something for both of those possible scenarios so if you are waiting for an apology that will never come just know this funny story and crazy story and just know like you know it'll work itself out 
Mm, it'll work itself out. Just chill. Just chill. Listener, I hope this has been helpful, and I hope it has been helpful for all all ye listeners for this upcoming high holiday season. It certainly was a fun episode to make. Y'all are great. We have a Patreon. If you want twice the episodes every month, then go join it. Great patron episode coming up this week. Also, next main series episode, I have some cool stuff planned, so stick around. And then I believe Sam. It's Sam time. And then I believe Sam, and then we're having our series. What would we say that series is about? Uh, should we? Have we already revealed what it is? I don't know. I don't feel like I could say what it is in a single sentence, so... Uh, I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Okay. We'll figure it out, listeners, but it's going to be dope. It's going to be historical. It's going to be heretical. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sexy. Mm, yeah, yeah. I will make it those things okay. by damn fuck. <laughs> okay. It's going to be sexy. Talk to you later, listeners. Love you. You're the best. Shavuotov. Shavuotov. Bye. Bye.